1: so in Genesis it doesn't take long to figure out that we are all born on the wrong side of Eden's door and we do not know the way back to God and we cannot find the tree of life on our own we can't open the door and shove ourselves back to the place where we can eat from it
2: that's Pastor Michael Oxen-Tanko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, you can call at any time, 24 888 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Someone is standing by right now to take your phone call. Today's broadcast with Pastor Michael oxen Tenko is entitled, The Tree of Life. That's the Tree of Life, and you can find it online at reachingyourheart.com. Here now is our pastor teacher, Michael Oxentenka, with the first portion of this broadcast.
1: Dear Father God, we want Jesus, but not nearly as much as Jesus desires us. We often want you on our terms. We want you on our way. We want you... And we insist that we have you in our way, and that's not the way you come to us. There's a sojourn in life, sojourn in life to find you. We must wonder to find, we must seek to find the door that opens. And so, Lord, I just ask today you'd help us in humility to take self off the throne, to think of the good of others, and more than this, to think of the good of God who made us for his glory. Lord, thank you for these wonderful young people here today in all aspects of our service. Bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was a young boy in Virginia, I was enamored with the big oak tree in the front of our farmhouse. Does anyone here climb trees a lot when you were a kid? All right, older folks, raise your hand. Climb trees? You ever fall out of a tree? You never fell out of a tree? I don't think you're being honest. I fell out of a tree more than once. In fact, I fell out of a tree so hard once, I thought I wouldn't get up. Falling out of trees can hurt, but I love climbing trees. So in many ways, this oak tree at the very front of our house represented to me the raw power of life that was just like youth. You know, youth is like growing up like a tree. And I looked at that tree and I thought, wow, I'm alive, I'm young. It was right there in front of our house. That huge oak tree was so high, it was so big that I was afraid to climb up the exploding tree that dominated the skyline there. And as I looked up, I could almost imagine that I was looking into the very foliage of the tree of life. I would climb two cherry trees on the right of my house. So there was all kinds of trees. We had peach trees, cherry trees, and the like. And the cherry trees were big, not nearly as big as the oak tree. And we'd climb these cherry trees, and we would pick the fruit from them. And then we would gobble it down, and we were so excited about it. And the birds would come, and it was kind of like a roar at the right time of the year when those cherries were there until they were devoured by all the birds from who knows where. But I remember that oak tree. It was huge, and it was so huge that it was almost a religious symbol to me. It spoke of power I didn't have, of strength I couldn't comprehend, of life that was like there all the time. And I would lie on my back at night and just stay under the tree and I could somehow see up through the sky and the stars and the leaves of the tree and it looked like a cosmic tree to me that filled the universe, time and space. I'd sleep under that tree with a blanket and the wet dew would fall on me and wake me up in the morning and I felt close to God, close to nature, close to my home because of the tree. One time I tried to climb down the tree by climbing on the roof of the house. It was so big I couldn't climb up the tree. I couldn't wrap my arms around it, so I tried climbing down the tree by getting on the roof. Kids, have you ever gotten the roof of your house? You have. I did too. Ask your mom and dad, and they'll probably say no. Bad idea. I did it. But I could never climb up the tree on my own because the tree was so wide, so huge, and so I could always climb down but couldn't climb up. That massive oak tree used to define the skyline on the road. That led right up to the house where I lived. For me as a boy, that tree was a universe of squirrels, of acorns, of limbs, leaves, birds, and insects. It was a universe right there in our front yard. Billy the squirrel lived in that tree. Billy the squirrel was our family pet. And he would come, we would feed him acorns and other things. And my brother ran him to the road and he got run over. And Billy the squirrel died tragically in front of the tree. It was horrific. I mean, you should have seen the family members go after my brother. You have killed Billy the squirrel. And my older brother Joe was, for one moment, he was not the alpha male in the family in terms of children anymore. He was castigated as we said, you killed our friend Billy. And we all gathered together, though, after we were able to get some sense, and we buried Billy the squirrel underneath that big oak tree, the tree that was so large I could never climb it on my own. As a child, I lived below the tree, fearful of its height, and fearful of climbing high. And because the tree's limbs were both high and huge and imposing, too, most of the time I just stayed away from the tree. I will never forget the day that came many years later when I went home as a young adult to my house that I'd grown up in to see that huge oak tree. I was horrified to find that the cherry trees had been chopped down. And there were no trees anymore around the house. And the big oak tree that represented life and youth and power to me was gone. Only a cut-off stump, a massive stump in front of the porch remained. And so something in me changed when I saw that. I was horrified to see it. The tree of life was cut down to the ground and only a stump remained in front of the porch. Like a gravestone, it stuck out of the ground, reminding me that my youth was gone, that something had transitioned. And without that old oak tree, that old house didn't feel like home anymore. So I left it far behind in my quest to find another tree of life on the road that goes from east to west. In his Origin of Species, Charles Darwin chose the metaphor of a tree. To describe his theory of natural selection, that is a necessary process for evolution in his theory in which life supposedly grows like branches that move out from a primitive life form in the beginning to more complex life forms and different variations of them. The origin of species is a tree, he thought. The simplest life forms to more complex life forms. They grow out, they sprout, Darwin postulated. One change after another in this evolutionary tree creates you and me, he said. As the tree never stops growing, life goes on. In Darwin's scheme, some branches die and some branches live on, but the tree grows and life forms and adapts as it grows and changes all on its own without God as the new twigs become new life forms in the long chain of life that finally ends in death, but life renewal in what he called evolution. Now, I think it's evolution when you can think of life without God. When you can postulate of a tree of life without a creator who is the source of it, that he did In Darwin's scheme, you don't need God to have a tree of life. In Darwin's tree of life, death precedes life and death follows life because in the end, everything dies and goes away and the tree of life itself eventually falls and fails because the universe itself is unsustainable in Darwin's scheme. Just before he died, Johnny Cash recorded one of the saddest songs ever written down. When I was a child, I used to listen to Johnny Cash. Anyone here ever listened to Johnny Cash as a young person he was a gifted musician. Many people don't realize he became a Christian because of the book, The Desire of Ages. You may not be aware of that. That was his entry into Christ. A magnificent book written by my favorite spiritual writer. It had a profound impact on Johnny Cash. Just before he died, this song, it was written years before, but he recorded it. It was written by Nine Inch Nails. You can feel the loss of his wife, June Carter Cash, in the song, even though he didn't write the words. The song is called Hurt. It is really an outstanding piece of poetry that describes what it means to be hurt and how hurt people affect other people. Hurt is the struggle we all face in our attempts to find the tree of life when we face down the fact in this world that everything and everyone goes away in the end. Johnny Cash sang it better than I can say it today by sharing the lyrics. I want to read the lyrics to you. It goes something like this, I hurt, you know, when he says it in the song, I hurt myself today, it kind of starts that way, kind of down. To see if I still feel, I focus on the pain, the only thing that's real. The needle tears a hole, the old familiar sting, try to kill it all away, but I remember everything. But what have I become, my sweetest friend? Everything I know goes away in the end. And you could have it all, my empire of dirt. I will let you down. I will make you hurt. And Johnny Cash sings the song with the pulsating power of grief as the song gets more intense as images of his life flashes in the video. It moves across the screen. You're seeing Johnny Cash's life in play as it moves towards end. It's very clear he's going to die at some point. He's not dead in the video, but it's saying that. And it goes on, I wear this crown of thorns upon my liar's chair, full of broken thoughts I cannot repair. Beneath the stains of time, the feelings disappear. You are someone else. I am still right here. What have I become, my sweetest friend? Everyone I know goes away in the end. And you could have it all, my empire of dirt. I will let you down. I will make you hurt. If I could start again a million miles away, I will keep myself. I would find a way. It's an amazing piece of poetry, really. The song became a music video in 2003, the year Johnny Cash died. But even Johnny Cash's home, where that video was produced, in 2007 it burned to the ground. It was destroyed. It became an empire of dirt. It was almost like he was doing a prophecy in this thing. The song says that it all goes away in the end. For Darwinian evolution... Life is a tree of life. But really, without God, it all goes away in the end. There is no promise of a tomorrow in such a scheme. Some have looked to human DNA as a tree of life in and of itself. I've looked through a microscope. You ever have a microscope at your home? You can look down at the cells and watch the little pieces of the DNA in a cell. Have you ever done that in a microscope? Mitosis and this kind of thing. It's exciting. The marvel of the genetic code, nucleic acid, the chemical chain that encodes the unique record of the seed of life that makes you who you are, your genetic code, your genetic tree is unique to you. Even in identical twins, they tell us that a chiasmus occurs where the genetic information is exchanged so that even a twin is not fully a twin in the purest sense. The double helix chain is the symbol of life in antiquity. It is a symbol of life since Watson and Crick, they found this thing. But it goes back to ancient times. Maybe they had understood it back then. The ancient god of Sumer and that pagan religion with the healing powers of nature was represented by the twisted double helix serpent with wings on a tree. According to geneticists, your DNA is a tree that sooner or later gives out And dies. Your telomeres run down. Your tree of life gives out. Your tree of life inside you goes away in the end. On its own, DNA won't make you live forever. In Eden, the serpent on the tree promised Eve she would become like God, knowing good from evil. He said, You shall not die. You know, when you're young, you feel immortal, don't you? Don't you? Well, my sons would go skateboarding, mountain biking, you know, snowboarding. I saw my son in a picture do a snowboard in Montana where he was doing a flip, a full 360. It scared the death out of me. Nothing to him. I'm alive. I'm young. I'm immortal. According to geneticists, you're not immortal. Sooner or later, your DNA runs out. So what do you do? Science has come along to take the place of your DNA. It's come along to offer the promise. What we cannot gain because of our genetics, maybe we can manipulate our genetics What life cannot do in its own science promises to achieve with the power of raw human technology. The futurist visionary Dr. Ian Parson claims that children born after 1970 will achieve immortality. That's quite a claim. First, by genetic engineering, which will extend their life. And then, eventually, by artificial intelligence, which will capture their life, which will take the essence of the human soul, which will download the human consciousness and mind into a computer system. And thus, artificial intelligence will be the extension of life into eternity. Now, I was born in 1963, and I don't fit in his bold new vision of the future. I'm seven years off of the possibility of living forever, according to him. How many of you were born before 1970? Raise your hand. I'm sorry, according to him, you can't live forever. I wonder how old Dr. Parson is. He's probably too old, too. Now, Dr. Ian Parson argues that the whole reality worlds within artificial intelligence systems created inside computers will carry us into universes of our own making. Heaven is that which we construct, he says.
2: Pastor Michael Oxentenka will continue in just a moment. Reaching Your Heart is a listener-supported program. We step out in faith to purchase airtime on this station because we believe God is working through this radio ministry to touch tens of thousands of lives. Each of our messages is prayed over, biblical messages of hope and Bible truth. To continue, we need your support we do not have a large ministry fundraising machine we operate totally by faith call our toll-free number to make your contribution of any size today that number is 888-244-HOPE that's 888-244-4673 or you can stop by our website reachingyourheart.com that's reachingyourheart.com let's get back to the broadcast now here is pastor michael loxentenka with more of today's reaching your heart
1: Dr. Ian Parson argues that the whole reality worlds within artificial intelligence systems created inside computers will carry us into universes of our own making. Heaven is that which we construct, he says. But what happens when the machine dies in the end? What happens when the microchip circuit burns out? What happens when someone pulls the plug What happens when the best-laid plans of mice and men come to an unseen, sudden, and tragic end? What happens when the scheme doesn't work? Johnny Cash said it right in the song, Hurt, everyone I know goes away in the end. You see, friend, we're all grasping for a limb that we can hold on to that belongs to the tree of life, aren't we? We all want to hang on to something that gives us a future. When you read the Bible... You don't get far before you encounter the Eitz Chaim in Hebrew, the tree of life. It appears in the second chapter of the Bible, and you don't end the Bible before you see the tree again. In the last chapter of the Bible, the bookends of the Bible are the tree of life. This morning, I'd like to eat from the tree of life that is in the paradise of God. I want to climb the tree of life. I'd like to hold on to a limb that will never let me down, that will not take me down but up in the tree of life. The tree of life first appears in the Bible in Eden in the book of Genesis chapter 2. Somebody said, well, Pastor Mike, what does the word Eden mean? The word Eden comes from the ancient Babylonian word Adanu, and it means the appointed time. Did you hear me? So Eden means the appointed time. When you look at in the context of Genesis, as soon as you have the seventh day Sabbath in Genesis 2, God finished his work He blessed the Sabbath day. He put his presence into it. And the number seven in Hebrew means to swear an oath or to be satisfied. God was satisfied. He swore an oath. The creation covenant was instituted by the seventh-day Sabbath. And the Bible teaches that the seventh-day Sabbath as the creation covenant is in fact a sign or seal of the everlasting covenant of God's moral nature of his very name, his covenant. So as soon as the seventh-day Sabbath appears at the dawn of time in the east, The book of Revelation says the seal of God is in the east. It's from the dawn of time. As soon as it appears, you have a garden. And the garden is the garden of Eden. Eden means the appointed time. Eden is the garden of the appointed time. Look at Genesis 2, verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden. In my translation, it says, in Eden, in the east. The Hebrew literally says, from the east, Mechadom. And there he put the man who he had formed, and out of the ground the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know, when I read the second chapter of Genesis, it looks like my home in Virginia with the big oak tree and the cherry trees. It reminds me of where I grew up when I had a garden when I was a boy. I used to dig in the garden, play in the garden, make kingdoms in the garden, get these little cans, and I would make tunnels and build mountains in the garden, and then I would make cities in the garden. The whole garden became a civilization. We had a garden when I was a boy. There was a garden in Eden. I was young back then. The world was young in Eden. My mom moved to the house with the big oak tree in the garden that God had planted. There he put the first man near the big trees, the big tree of life included, the first man was only a child in Eden. That's how sin started when man was young. Children grasping for knowledge to be like God became devils without God. And so things can go wrong in a garden. The Bible's very clear in verse 9. There are all kinds of trees in the garden, but two stand out as prominent. The first was what? What was the most important tree in the garden? You know. What was it? The tree of life. What was the second tree, which was kind of negative? All right, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now it had good in its name. The metaphor of the tree lives on today. We have it all around us. We speak of branches of learning. You ever hear of that? Because knowledge is a tree of understanding. The knowledge of good and evil is a tree with many branches of learning and study to it. It starts with an idea and in time evil becomes a tree with some good things in it, but it's still a tree of good and evil and thus it's bad. When you mix good and evil, it's bad. When you corrupt the good by association with the bad the good can no longer come across right so what is the tree of life in contrast to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil which has many branches of philosophy of religion in the world in which we live today in Eden we get a clue on the tree is fruit and when you eat the right kind of fruit you live forever by the way what's your favorite fruit you can actually speak to it passion fruit mango I like mangoes Papaya, kiwi. kiwi fruit. Now that's interesting. I can't stand kiwi fruit. Why do you like kiwi fruit? It's sweet. Well, that's a good answer. I find it tart and sour, but to you it's sweet. I would eat them and just swallow them as fast as I could. But do you ever eat the skin on a kiwi fruit? No? Okay, maybe that's why it's sweet. But you do. Okay, we eat fruit in different ways. What's your favorite fruit? Strawberries? Okay. Well, my favorite fruit is pomegranates. Have you ever had a pomegranate? The best pomegranates I ever had was in the city of Ephesus in Asia Minor. They would crack open right on the tree, and you'd eat them right there in the middle of the open air. In Eden, Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and I think it was a pomegranate. And she convinced Adam to eat with her. You know, strawberries don't grow in trees, do they? Okay, so, and some of the fruits do. And in the Bible, the two trees are not compatible, just as the two ideas. The the different branches of learning cannot be compatible. The Eden home ends with Adam and Eve on the outside because they sin. So it starts with a garden, with trees, with life. It ends with isolation, being pushed out, losing the tree of life. And the tree of life is on the inside. And the tragedy is man and woman are on the outside. So in Genesis, it doesn't take long to figure out that we are all born on the wrong side of Eden's door, and we do not know the way back to God, and we cannot find the tree of life on our own. We can't open the door and shove ourselves back to the place where we can eat from it. The story of the Bible is a long one, and at times, we find trees to rest under on the road from east to west. It's amazing how trees are important in the Bible. As soon as they leave the tree of life, we find that certain key figures come to trees in the Bible. When Abram left Ur of the Chaldees, he found God in the promised land near a big oak tree like the one I knew when I was a child, and like the tree that grew tall in Eden when the world was young. Take your Bibles, turn to Genesis 12, verse 6. The Bible says Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem. And how does it read? To the what? The oak of Morah. Now I can identify with that. That's like that big oak tree in the front of my house. The oak of Morah. He's coming from Ur to the land that God will show him to be blessed. And he stops at a tree. Now, the oak of Morah. Morah in Hebrew means teaching or early rain. Abram met God at the oak of teaching where the early rain of understanding falls from God in the spring. It was a religious shrine in the land of Canaan. Somehow you can get the right knowledge It was felt. If you get to a tree, a tree connects heaven and earth. And if you're at a tree, maybe heaven will drop some truth down to you like the rain that comes from the sky. This is how they thought. The text goes on, at that time the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Thence he removed to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So at the tree he built an altar because he heard the voice of God there. Now so much is happening in this verse. It's funny how we read a verse. We move quickly from it to another, and we fail to understand its significance. Unlike Adam, Abram finds God at a tree. Adam leaves God because of the tree. Abram is moving from east to west like we all move from the beginning of our lives to the end of our lives. So his life journey is archetypical. It represents our life journey. And not at the end of the life or at the beginning of the life, not at the west or the east does he find God. In the story, God finds Abram on the road at the Oak of Morah between the poles of east and west. You see, God promises to find us in our journey, not at the end of our journey. In fact, Abram never gets to where he's going in life in the story, but God gets to Abram in his life. And here is the other thing we seek at the Oak of Morah. As soon as God finds Abram at the tree, Abram hears the word of God at the tree, and there God gives the exact knowledge that Abram needs for life. At the tree, God teaches Abram. God says, to your descendants, I will give this land. Now, the word descendants in Hebrew is Zerah, and it's the word seed. To your seed, I will give this land. In Eden, in Genesis 3.15, God promised Eve the seed. And through him, a singular seed, the Messiah's seed, the life, God would crush the head of the serpent. And so, in a sense, God repeats this promise in principle to Abram at a tree. God promises Abram seed, just like he did to Eve in Eden. Life for Abram is the seed. As soon as God speaks in Abram's life at a tree, Abram moves to the east, to the mountain east of Bethel. In Genesis 2.8, Eden was literally from the east, Mechetim in Hebrew. Abram moves in the direction of Eden to the east.
2: Well, that's all the time we have for the first portion of the Tree of Life. Join us again tomorrow when we complete this message. Here at Riching Your Heart, we believe in prayer. We believe in the God who answers our prayers and meets our needs. Each week, we are standing by to receive your prayer requests and seek God with you. His word declares, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Call our prayer line today with your requests, and our team will join you in seeking that the God of heaven will meet each one of your needs. Our telephone number is 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. If you would like to listen to this message again, it is available for you at reachingyourheart.com. Once again, reachingyourheart.com. There are many messages available along with this broadcast as well. Thanks for listening today. And as always, we want you to know that we do pray that God is reaching your heart.